Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to californiaschoolchoice.org. That's californiaschoolchoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. Welcome to the California School Choice Radio Network, hosted by Mike Alexander, the lead proponent of the Educational Freedom Act Initiative and chairman of Californians for School Choice. Join us to learn how to put parents, not politicians, in charge of our children's education. And now, here's your host, Mike Alexander, the voice of choice in California education. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Alexander, the voice of choice, Californians for School Choice, and president here of California School Choice Foundation. We're here at episode 10, coming to you from the studios of KRLA AM870, The Answer, right here in Glendale, California. We're back here for another episode and really looking forward to it. Um, I, I've been doing a lot, you guys know, here uh, over the last uh, several episodes, trying to bring to you more items of news about school choice in addition to an in-depth uh, review, uh, or I should say interview, with somebody familiar with school choice or the school choice movement, and also, of course, our lighthearted foray into a very serious matter, which is the amount of money going into California schools with little to show for it. After all, we're 48th in the nation. But in between, it's not just California this busy. There's a lot of people and a lot of things that, that are happening. But, you know, before I start anything here today, I would like to remember a very the memory of a very good friend of California School Choice and a friend of mine. That's Don Dix. Donald Dix uh, was a member of the Salem family. He broadcast from KTIE out in the Inland Empire. Uh, Don had a, a long career in broadcasting, most, most of which I don't know. But for the last 10 years, he's been part of the Salem family, and we got to know each other back in 2009, 2010, uh, you know, just as the uh, the Tea Party movement was picking up. As you know, school choice is nonpartisan, and I'm not here to introduce partisan politics into it. I just want to let you know how I met a good friend. And Don Dix, 
uh, had a great voice, one of the great set of pipes uh, in the business. When you heard him announcing, you knew that you were listening to a professional radio announcer. His voice harkened back to the voices of the 60s or the 30s or the 40s. He had that kind of voice. He made a living off of it. He also made a living off of his wit and his intelligence and his charm. And it was all of that that led the people of uh, Riverside County, the Republicans, to elect him the president of the Republican Party there in uh, in Riverside County. And in that capacity, uh, he was able to lead the recall effort uh, there in Riverside County. And of all the counties who actually voted in favor of the recall, Riverside County, under um, Don's leadership, voted for recall by the highest margin in the state. So the point of it is, is that he was not only an accomplished professional, Don was also an accomplished politician, a very gifted man. And one of the ways in which Don was unique was his generosity in politics and entertainment uh, you know, it's all about the candidate. It's all about the performer. And because of the nature of the business, because no one else is going to talk about you, you have to talk about you. And that leads to a, an unfortunate habit among political people where every conversation becomes about them. Every conversation, every issue is redirected back towards them and what they're doing and what they think and so forth. Now, Don was certainly an effective politician, but he had one characteristic that was unique in, um, in the breed, and that was his generosity. When I say his generosity, I'm not talking about financial because Don never made a tremendous amount of money doing very much. He sacrificed to be involved in politics and public affairs, and he never failed to give credit to others for the contributions that they made. Never failed to give credit for ideas to other people. And without making this conversation about me, which I'm not going to do, he was very generous in his conversations and the things that he said about me when he was speaking in public and I happened to be present. And I'm not going to go into the praise that he gave of me because that would make this about me. What I found remarkable was his generosity. And under these many years, Don had me on his program repeatedly. Uh, I would have him call in from time to time to talk about this stuff. In fact, I was going to interview him here very soon for the voice of choice. But as you, many of you may know, Don became very ill back last fall, had a, uh, the reported cause of death, ultimately was a failure of his autoimmune system. He had lost a tremendous amount of weight. Um, last time I talked with him was around New Year's before I got under the weather myself. And Don uh, was determined to get back in the fight. He was gaining some weight some more, but then uh, he came down either with the flu or something else. It just got worse, and he passed on Monday. The one thing that Don and I shared, 
an insight that he gave me credit for, but he's entitled to as much credit as I am because it's not a unique concept at all. And that was the idea of the crisis of citizenship. He spoke about it all the time in his town halls and on his radio show. What we have here in the United States, ladies and gentlemen, is a system that proceeds based upon the consent of the governed. And, and, and now, you know, we, uh, you know, in our, our republic, it's come under attack by everybody, and there's temptation to believe that because the electoral system has been under assault, that it no longer counts. Let me tell you, the electoral system counts, as I say so often, if the vote didn't matter, they wouldn't be trying to steal it. And that's why your vote is, uh, is so important. But in a republic that obtained, where the government obtains its authority to govern with the consent of the governed, what that means is whatever goes, in our, goes on in, uh, in our system, whatever our politicians do or don't, whatever happens in our, in our system of government, ultimately, ladies and gentlemen, that's on you and me as citizens. If it's being done in our name, we have to take responsibility for it because we insist that the system must have our consent. I know it's not as clean cut as that, and that there's a lot of distortions in the system, but Don was determined uh, to get the message across to each and every one of us that what happens to our country is the responsibility of, of uh, each one of us as citizens. And what's happening in our country right now is essentially because not enough of us took action. And that is what he identified as the crisis in citizen, citizenship. And there's no better example than the recent recall um, Election, once again, not, not to get political, but a lot of Republicans run around this state complaining about voter integrity, complaining about manipulation of this machine and that. That may or may not be true. That's not what this show is all about. But let me tell you, the fact is a couple of million Republicans stayed home and didn't vote at all. We know that. And then a lot of other Republicans turned around and blamed uh, their electoral failure uh, uh, or, or tried to tried to blame it on voter fraud and so forth and so on. When there was a lot of apathy, a lot of giving up. Don't do that. As we approach the school choice uh, uh, memo, as we are issue here, gathering our signatures, as we try to build the school choice movement to bring authentic educational freedom to the marketplace. Let's remember not only what Don Dix said, but what Don Dix did every day of the last 10 years. Hey, Mike, I want to yeah. jump in really quick. I had this the, is this is Mr. Producer, Kevin <laughs> Campbell. Jump, yes. jump in, Kevin. I had the pleasure of working with Don over the last five or six years. Uh -huh. And the biggest thing that I remember from him, he says, why sit on the couch and complain when all you have to do is get up? Yep. <laughs> and that was Don. Yeah, that was that was Don in my, my version of Don in a nutshell. Yeah. This insurgent group formed after a faction within the Taliban splintered and pledged allegiance to Abu, Abu Bakr Abu. <laughs> I can say this normally when I'm not even thinking about it. Abu, Abu Bakr Abu. Well, they finally did it. The U.S. 
Sorry. <laughs> yeah. My glasses just broke, believe it or not. Seriously. They just fell off. Abu, Abu Bakar. Abu. A lot of the clips I've seen floating around the internet are just these uh, short little outtakes. But there's... Sorry. My screen fell off. <laughs> Abu, Abu Bakar. Abu. L.A. County has finally addressed a problem that has been plaguing communities throughout the area for years. That's right. With homeless problems out of control... Crime in L.A. County soaring thanks to their D.A., George Gascon. Finally, the L.A. County Board of Supervisors has finally gotten to the bottom of one of the major problems facing county residents. And it's a game changer for the area, folks. On Tuesday, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors decided that feeding peacocks is a crime worth punishing to Abu Bakar Abu in here at the studio here uh, uh up here KRLA which is is you know part of the Salem system Salem Broadcasting Network a bunch of people know Don and uh you know it's uh they've got everything but flowers in the hallway up here uh you know his his uh, his voice will long uh, echo uh, in our ears and our memory and so forth. He will not be forgotten. And we will all, all of us go out there and, and take action. This is uh, what Don would, we know it was what Don would want because he was out there working for it. So let's all, if, if you're a believer, if you pray, say a prayer uh, for the repose of, uh, of Don's soul. And if you don't pray or believe in God, hoist a drink to his memory, and maybe have a moment of silence somewhere in there. Now, he was a man who was known to take a drink. And uh, what was his beverage of preference? Wasn't it scotch? Scotch, whiskey, <clears throat> anything bought for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I got to say, uh, yeah, Don was, I a, love it. Don was a good, good man. Um, he was. I cut above. Yeah, he was. And he was always a ball to be with incredible sense of humor. So let's go out there and do it for the Don, the other Don. That's Donald Dix, Requiescat in Pache. That's a little Latin lingo for may he rest in peace. All right. Well, uh, in any event, we do have other news in just a few minutes. We'll have our first segment. Uh, uh, if, if, how many minutes do we go on that Uh uh, there, uh, we have a couple of, I, I just want to, uh, I'm going to put some other things. Uh, okay. We did 10 minutes. That's about enough of a mini monologue. I wanted to remember him, but, uh, we have a, a number of really good, uh, quotations that I'll put in the notes there that go out to all of you. You'll get some, uh, some, uh, nice clicks and links and so forth. I wanted to lead off our show today with a quote of the week, courtesy of Josh Jacobs, uh, uh, a fellow named Brian Costin, C-O-S-T-I-N tweeted quote, I don't want Republicans in charge of schools. I don't want Democrats in charge of schools. In fact, I don't want any part politicians in charge of schools. I want parents in charge of selecting the right school for their children, fund students, not systems, 
unquote. So there's the man and the tweet of the week. We need to find Brian Costin and make him a county leader somewhere. So that's the end of our mini log, <clears throat> mini monologue. Coming up here in a few minutes, we're going to have a couple of good friends, Janice and Doug Hauser, who are not proponents, uh, formal lead proponents of school choice. Uh, they're much more than that, really. They were here at the very beginning. Nobody's worked harder. And uh, I, uh, we're going to have Rebecca Friedrichs here next week is going to come on. She was supposed to be here today. And when she wasn't, I thought, what the heck? I'd like to bring in the two people in our system who are working the hardest for school choice. That is Doug and Janice Housen. We're going to be back with them in a minute. And our second segment, of course, Government Grifter of the Week, our perennial favorite segment. We will get into another outrage uh, involving uh, the so-called school system here in California. So give me a couple of minutes and we'll be back with you. This is Mike Alexander, the voice of choice. California schools rank 48th nationally, even though we spent $20,000 per year per student, that's $500,000 per classroom. This system is nothing but a fraud, a hustle, and a con. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, Chairman of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents will decide where their children go to school. Each child will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. All right, everybody, this is Mike Alexander back with you for the first segment of The Voice of Choice. Once again, coming to you from Glendale, California. Uh, and for today's segment, uh, by the way, a little teaser, uh, Rebecca Friedrichs, the author of, uh, what is it, Something Goliath. What, what's the name? Oh, Confronting Goliath. And she's got a brand new movement. Uh, yeah, uh, they think they're, they're, they're their kids, so forth. I'll have to get the exact title. She was supposed to be on today. She'll be on next week. In the meantime, as you know, I try to bring you people who can give you background here in California, the condition of education or on the Educational Freedom Act and what we're doing. So as I was reflecting on who to bring in for this afternoon's pre-record, I said, heck, I just got to talk with them last night. I wanted to bring in Doug Hauser and Janice Hausers, uh, 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 whom, uh, whom I uh, affectionately refer to as our wandering Jews. Uh, these folks, uh, they're believers, of course, of the of uh, the Jewish kind. And these guys have gone all around the state. They've done incredible things. Doug was a, a de facto, we had an informal drafting committee that is within our movement. Then we went to a formal drafting uh, committee. We're working with other uh, uh, stakeholders and thought leaders throughout the state. And throughout that, Doug 
played an incredible role. And, and Janice Hauser, who's uh, been, uh, we've, we've known each other for years, used to be from the Los Angeles area. Uh, she has worked, these guys have worked more venues than, uh, than you can uh, shake a stick at. So I just want to welcome my, my two good friends and hardest workers, uh, uh, Doug Hauser and Janice Hauser. Welcome, guys. How are you today? Doing good, great. Doing good. great. All right. Good. I had to put on a tie, but other than that, I love it. <laughs> I'm, I usually, I, you know, I'm usually a T-shirt guy, but I put yeah. on my Einstein tie, which I think is appropriate for talking about education and yeah. scholasticism. But uh, like, you know, like I say, I'm, I'm normally a T-shirt guy, but for yeah. this, I got all dressed you, up. <laughs> usually he says something about school choice. There's a surprise for you. <clears throat> well, in any event, uh, uh I, 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 you know, I, I may have stolen a little bit of your thunder, but uh, I, I didn't mean to. I just wanted to give people a little bit more background on you. So uh, uh, you guys right now are living in the Inland Empire, and you guys have really been politically active for, for a long time. Uh, uh, tell, tell us, if you would, <clears throat> uh, how you got involved in, in school choice. Uh, what things, you know, it's a blur. I don't even remember where we started. It's been, it's been over three years. We've done so much. You know, uh, uh, talk to us. Uh, tell us about it. Well, just to correct you slightly, Janice has been politically active for a very long time. Uh, myself, not so much. Um, okay. A few years ago, uh, we became uh, connected to our local Tea Party group. Uh, we were sort of shocked um, after the Pasadena group, we were out here in the Inland Empire and we stumbled into their meeting and it was 200 people strong. And it just, we just went, whoa, I, I think we're home. <laughs> and we started working market nights for them and we worked on a couple of uh, candidates for Congress and did a lot of leafleting and talking to people. And so they asked us to join their cabinet. And uh, they asked us, especially because of our backgrounds, uh, I'm a retired research scientist and Janice is a retired uh, social worker. And um, they asked us to be especially involved in education issues. And at that time, about four years ago or so, the uh, up and coming issue was the sex ed, the triple X sex ed that was coming down the pike. And um, basically, we couldn't make much headway for a variety of reasons. First of all, Nobody believed it. When, when we spoke to people and said, this is what they're going to be teaching. This is what's going to be in the books. <clears throat> people were going, you're crazy. That will never happen. That is just too way out there. You know, you're paranoid. Um, yeah. And then when it happened, it was too late to really do much about it. I, I, I tell a funny story about how um, at one of the one of the meetings where you're allowed to examine the uh, the, the the curriculum itself. I, I caught a, a blatant oversimplification. It had to do with the uh, with the definition of sexual harassment, which obviously is a real thing. But their definition was so <laughs> simplistic and crazy that when I gave an example of something that fit the definition but was clearly not sexual harassment, all these teachers and superintendents of the meeting were shocked. Like we never thought of that. What a what a uh -huh. you know, yeah, that's really true. And yeah. my point was, I said. It's you'd be better off teaching kids to make sure they can do division or or make sure they know the presidents or or parts of a cell or the names of the planets or or state capitals rather than this. And they said, well, you know, we really have no choice. We didn't make this stuff up. This came out of Sacramento and we've got to do it or our funding will be cut. You know, so that was let me, let me our kids against the brick wall. You know, that that is such a great story about how you got involved. 
But but there's uh, the inside story that you just mentioned there is about your dealings with the uh, with the school board, what they did, and what they didn't do, and so it's amazing. They're the ones who pretend, and I emphasize pretend, to be in charge of education in that area, but they're really not in charge of very much. And when you confront them, you go down to these uh, uh, feel-good machines, and you put your quarter in there, and you get to speak for three minutes or five or seven, or whatever the commissars think is enough democracy for, uh, for the night and free speech. Uh, uh, you tell them something, you offer them compelling evidence, and then no matter what the evidence is, they they throw up their hands and they always go like this. Our hands are tied. You know, we can't do this. It's not permitted. This comes from San Francisco, uh, Sacramento and so forth. So whether true or not, whether true or not, these people refuse to take responsibility for any outcome. They, uh, and if you press them to action, even if they're inclined to take action, they complain that they have no, no power to do so. And so it, it leaves the average parent and citizen wondering, uh, you know, what is it that we do? So, you know, when you go to any, uh, I don't care whether it's a, uh, a Democrat uh, political meeting or a Republican political meeting, everybody is encouraging parents, you know, to get involved in your child's education, go down there, run for school board, that is so much malarkey, it's not even funny. Now, yes, we do need people to run for school board because it's better to have good people on there than the bad people who are frequently there. But there's nothing magic about it. As a matter of fact, that whole so-called school board system, it's all rigged for a certain outcome. Uh, what, what's been... Now, uh, uh, I hijacked your presentation there. Sorry. Uh, I wanna, I wanna, but go ahead. Say, Chime know, in. One of the things that we started with, we took all the Republican uh, uh, um, elected school board members and invited to them to a meeting in our county. And we got a good response. You know, a great deal of people came. And then they found out what we were doing. And they said, well, it can just be tweaked. You know, we have to do what they're going to do. But, you know, we have, it's just going to be tweaked. Right, tweet me, sweetie. Even, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah. Even today, we talk to school board members who just they just still say the same thing. Right. It's it's as if it's as if being <laughs> in that position, even though they, like you say, will claim that we have no power to change things, they feel like at some level it's sort of working, kind of okay. And if we could only do this. Or if we could only do that, then that would fix the problem. And we've, we've come to believe that that is simply not the case. There's right. the, the rot go, goes too deep. The problems are too deep. Um, a, a, a stat I frequently quote to people is that in 1986, the state of California spent slightly above $4,000 per pupil per year and right. had scores near the top of the nation. Now, right. the state of California spends above $20,000 per pupil per year, almost five times as much, and has scores in the bottom, near the right. bottom of the nation. No, no, we so had our more money or a little tweaking of the system is not going to happen. And in that time, 
what has happened from 1986 to now, the number of classroom teachers has increased by 6%, and the number of administrators, many of whom are drawing six-figure salaries, has tripled. So that money is not even getting to the classroom. It's not even getting to the teachers. It's certainly not getting to the kids. And this is part of the problem. To to try to overhaul the system completely, I think, uh, would be a Herculean task um, and and probably a fool's errand as well, to to mix some metaphors there. Yeah, uh, totally with you. One of the things, ladies and gentlemen, that we we decided, uh, in fact, this is a a good uh, uh, segue, uh, however the frogs pronounce it, uh, into a discussion of the drafting process. Uh, there, we, we had a very impressive group of people, uh, uh, and it was really, uh, when, when we look at it, uh, what came to be our, our drafting committee initially included a large number of people from the Inland Empire, a large number of people from the Pasadena area. Uh, we blended this, and these are two groups that had a lot of contacts going back to 2009, 2010. Um, so, you know, we, we met early on, did a tremendous amount of work <coughs> in taking apart the Morlock Bill, Senate Bill what, 1733, whatever it was, mm-hmm. that uh, John Morlock and his team had drafted. We worked our way through that. Uh, uh, a couple of times in major sessions, laying the groundwork later on for uh, for the final draft of our initiative. And one of the things that that we confronted early on was what what a school choice bill should look like. Here we are tackling this vast enterprise called schools. There's over ten thousand. Uh, elementary K- K-12 stu- schools facilities uh, in our state, 6.2 million children, involves over $100 billion per year in revenue flowing in and out of there. Uh, the most highly politi- political apparatus in all of state government, even more so than the uh, 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 the prison guards people. So the question is what we are going to do. And, and Doug Uh, just hit on one of the things that we did. And early on, we resolved that nothing that we did in our bill that we put in there was designed to attempt to reform or affect in any way how the schools actually managed or financed themselves. Um, Would you agree with that that assessment, Doug? You you alluded to it there. Uh, Why don't you talk, uh, if you would, uh, a little bit about what we did and how how we rolled on that. Right. I remember that early on, um, one of the discussions was as to what form school choice would take. We decided early on, after consulting with people from Arizona and a couple of other places, that school choice was the way to go, that to put the parents in charge of the education uh, would bring better results than any attempts to tweak or, or change the current system. And I remember we did, we did discuss, you know, vouchers, we discussed um, tax credits, and we decided on uh, education savings account, uh, basically, because it's sort of the fairest system, regardless of the person's income to begin with, or economic status of any kind, that then 
you know, it's equal shares for everybody. And when we looked at those first numbers, I remember it originally was about $12,500. Yeah, that's right. I year. forgot. Yeah. Right. It, it's gone up. We, we had to reprint our, our flyers to, <laughs> to account for the increase over the course of time, over the course of a couple of years. But we looked at that and said, that's plenty of money to send your kid to a private school. The vast majority of church schools cost less than that. A lot of private schools cost less than that. I think also a majority of both. So we said, this is clearly the way to go because, you know, as I like to say to people now, even now, let's face it, rich people already have their kids in private schools, whether it's Gavin Newsom or, you know, Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or, you know, I'm sure Republicans as well. They don't trust their kids to the public school system. They put their kids in private schools. And so we wanted to create a system that would give everybody that same option and then let the the opportunity is more fairly spread. Let the competition begin and we'll see who really is producing the best students are the my dad grew up in an inner city and he always thought inner city kids were better at everything than country kids. You know, I'm sure people who, I'm sure people live in the country think that country folk know best, you know, yeah. but so let's make this a fair balanced system where everybody has an equal shot at success and let it all happen. And, and, we and let, we, not only competition we, among the kids, but competition among the schools. And, and I would like to say that the the real effects of this initiative will be in the communities that are at risk. Our neighbors, yeah. our neighbors who are living in con- conditions where their children have to walk from their front door to the school and they have to run a gauntlet of some really ugly characters, you know. And once they get in, you think they find some solace. But they Those are the not. school administrators. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. a lunch lady, right? <laughs> right. Janice often uh, talks about how many people... Uh, under this plan, many poor people who live in bad neighborhoods, they work in a much nicer neighborhood than they live in. And right. so they will now have the option of taking their kids to a private school or parochial school in the neighborhood where they work. And not yeah. only is the school better, but they're with their kids. They're commuting with their kids instead of latchkeying them. And their kids are going to be associating with a kids from a, another economic strata. They'll end up going to college together. They'll form friendships and networking, which is right. always one of the arguments that, you know, rich people have this advantage. Let's bring poor people into the fold and let them get the same advantage. We call them citizens. We call them parents. And most important there is that, and th- this is another one of the advantages <clears throat> almost uniformly overlooked, and that is parents through the Educational Freedom Act, can now have the financial means that they need to send their kids to a school that meets their needs and requirements without being forced to move out of their neighborhood, without being forced to sell their house, without being forced to try to come up with a one or two million dollar mortgage to move into a decent uh, school district. That's the real price of private education. The check that the that uh, people write, uh, I'm talking about affluent areas, 
the check that people write to the schools is a small part of what they actually pay. The big price is the two million or one and a half million. I mean, it's going up so darn fast that they're going to pay to live in San Marino or La Cunada, Flint Ridge or Hillsborough, you name it. Whatever that really or Beverly Hills, it might be three million. You you see, that's the point. So this creates the bad schools create bad neighborhoods because there's constant turnover. So you never get long-term ownership. A lot of people are perfectly happy with the neighborhoods that they live in or willing to accept the limitations may not be the most affluent or best looking neighborhood, but it fits their means. What they're really focused on is what's it going to take to get my kid a decent education. And if they happen to work downtown and they take a kid downtown, fine. Or in these so-called marginal neighborhoods, high-quality schools can now be established because they have customers, they're ready, and they can screen them because there's no reason you can't get a high-quality education in that neighborhood if you get away from the government solution. Uh, exactly. Com- competition. Hang on, Mr. Producer. How many, uh, how many more minutes do we have here? Okay, we're, we're looking at about seven minutes. I got to blame it on Hauser. He talks too much. And that wife he has, that's amazing. When we three get together, man, we could go on forever. Oh, you should have heard the Ted Hayes podcast. Oh, yep. man. We, 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 did, we were on for an hour, and then we went. We were talking two or three hours after the podcast. After that. <laughs> well, it's look, actually an Anita. Oh, my God, it was great. I built so you guys. I, I, I wanna, I wanna, Wait, no, I no, wanna... Janice. Janice, hang on. I love you. <laughs> I want uh, the, what you guys have done and what is, I think, most important here for our audience um, is, is that you guys can uniquely bring uh, uh, to this broadcast here. I want you to tell me what the rec- you guys have been all over the state. What was the reception? You've talked with people of every color, every background, every neighborhood, truckers, gun shows, uh, people at uh, uh, at farmer's markets, you name it. Uh, Talk to me about what you guys have done, where you've been around the state, and the reaction of people to what we're proposing. Well, recently, when when we were promoting this, before there was a solid initiative, when we were getting pre- uh, petition signatures. Um, you know, people like Doug said, it didn't matter whether you're white, black, you know, uh, Asian, Hispanic, Democrat, Republican, people really loved the idea, even back then. Yeah. Now, though, the the horrific things going on with our school boards that we're seeing and the terrible things that are going on in the classrooms have really hit home. And I want to relate a, a situation, Doug and I went out to Los Alamitos, where they, the parents were upset with critical race theory, and they wanted to talk to their members of the school board. So they got there at three for me, and the social start at six, and they filled out the, you know, uh, com- public comment cards, and somebody opened <laughs> the door. They said, you know, you guys are signing up to get in this meeting that starts at six, but you know, the teachers unit has been here ahead of you. They've been signing up since eight 30 in the morning. Oh, so the, oh, people oh. That, the people that are here at three, you're going to be able to speak at 10 30 at night. Then, um, then Antifa and black lives matter folks showed up vandalized cars. 
um, the next week, the parents brought their own security. Now, this, this is what breaks my heart. It almost brings me to tears when this happens. These, this is the United States of America, and these people are trying to elect their, uh, elect, uh, to uh, comment to their elected members of their school board, and they have to hire their own security in America, for gosh sakes, okay? Yes. What was the reaction, however, to our proposal? Because this oh. is an illustration of the problem. So these these people are sitting down there. They know that they become part of political theater, manipulation. Their voices will not be heard. And even if they are, as I often say, those school board members get that constipated hemorrhoidal look on their face, uh, a, a feigning concern and thanking you so much for being part of the process. Your input it is so important. And then when that when the session is off, but their mic is still hot, nobody knows it. They use uh, speak about you in the most appalling way. So parents know this. They've learned this. You come to them with a solution. What's the reaction of white parents, black parents? Uh, where do I come? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the reaction is, I mean, at events like that, virtually every single person who attends signs. That, that, that almost goes without saying. But um, just a few weeks ago, we were at a pre, some of us went to a pre-Super Bowl event in Inglewood. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yep. totally non-political. It was called a taste of Inglewood. It was a bunch of food vendors there, by the way, a terrific event with fantastic food. Some of the most delicious food I've ever had. The, the crowd there, I'd say, was 80 to 90 percent African-American. And we just started going school choice, sign the school choice petition. And people would come up to us and say, what is school choice? And we'd explain it to them and they would sign. Boom. And without yeah. exaggeration, I will say 95 percent or more of the people who hear the plan go, where do I sign? Or what right. a great idea. Or exactly. why did we do this 20 years ago? It, it's you. it's it's virtually unanimous. I, I remember at that event, we were there for several hours, and there was one lady who must have been connected to this union, and she started yelling, a public school education is the most important thing. And my usual answer is, then how come Gavin Newsom has his kid in a private school? Right. <laughs> you know? And right. says, it is the most important thing. Yeah. So, so you'll run into one person like that out of two, out of 100, out of 200. You yeah. know, virtually every other person said either I'm signing or but I'm from Cincinnati and I can't sign your petition. Yeah. I'm rooting yeah. for the other team. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the book that we were talking about, you know, yeah. standing That's up to here. fight. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Uh, she's got a movie out. What's the name of it? Who's the movie is uh, Whose Kids Are? Whose Kids Are They Anyway? Yep. And I understand, I have not seen it yet, but I understand that the last, it's about the problems with the public schools, and the last 10 minutes is a, a virtually a commercial for school choice, not necessarily for our initiative, no. but for school choice. <laughs> I also highly recommend to anybody a documentary from about 10 years ago called Waiting for Superman there about the problems in the inner city. It ends with the lotteries where there are two or 300 parents there for the lottery to get their kids in the last 10 spots in the one good school in the district. And they're covering Baltimore and LA and St. Louis and Washington, DC and yep. all these terrible school districts. And I just was looking and going, this is torture. These people know that their kid's future is riding on this and the odds are, are 10 to one against them. If they, we, they had school choice, 
every one of those kids would be in a quality school. And this That's is right. not just, this is just not California. It's just not the country. This is an international situation. This yeah. is the way we're going to save the world, save the world. Thank you, Janice. And on that note, as you know, I got production uh, uh, limits here. So uh, we're up here at our 30-minute uh, uh, here, uh, Mr. Producer. Uh, we're up here at our 30-minute mark here. So I'll just conclude by embracing um, uh, uh, you know, your, your final comments there, Janice. And, and, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to uh, you know, to have you guys and have the opportunity to thank you. And I am even more happy to call you my friends and compatriots here in this wonderful battle. And uh, thanks for coming here today. I think you gave everybody some real insight into what really went on in the movement, what's going on out there and how people are thinking. So you guys hang in there and I'll be talking to you, I'm sure, the next day or so. Sure. Ladies Great. and gentlemen, uh, you know, we uh, we're very happy uh, to have had Doug Hauser and his lovely wife Janice Hauser on in our first segment here. And what a story they tell! And you know, I I you know, I don't always want to go back and tell the history. I want you to hear from time to time about the people who are involved in it. We had Pastor Hawkins here. Uh, we've had Janice Hauser. We had Dr. Dale Broom early on. Um, and we've had a few other proponents and, uh, and I, and I, I'm probably going to have on Steve Smith here pretty soon. And, you know, talk about people who are passionate, uh, uh the Housers talked about the people they encountered in the black community. We have a ton of people in the Asian community, and I'm going to bring some of them in. I think you're going to be excited to hear their stories. So once again, uh, we're glad to have had them. This concludes the first segment of The Voice of Choice. So if you'll hang in there, we'll be back shortly uh, with our second segment, our ever-popular Government Grifter of the Week Award with Juan Tierra. Back in a moment. Trapped by their zip codes, the poorest children are denied access to a quality education that will enable them to break the cycle of poverty and take their rightful place in our society. This is real systemic racism. It's time to put school choice on the ballot. Hello, this is Mike Alexander, president of Californians for School Choice. Under the Educational Freedom Act initiative, parents, not zip codes, will decide where their children go to school. Parents wanting to leave the disastrous public school system will receive a yearly tuition credit of $14,000 per child to attend a private or religious school of their choice and save any money left over for college, vocational training, or other qualified expense. To sign the petition and learn how you can help, go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. That's CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. And remember, it's your kids, your money, and your choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom. And now for the weekly Government School Grifter Award, here he is, Le Mazur Tierra. Hello, everybody. Back with you here, Mike Alexander, uh, California's for School Choice and also California School Choice Foundation here with episode 10 of The Voice of Choice. And here we are in our second segment with Juan Tierra, our ever popular uh, raconteur investigator at large, 
who's going to be talking today about a lot of educational issues, and we will have nominees as usual, or maybe nominated schools, I'm not sure, but one way or the other, we'll get to our Government Grifter of the Week Award. And now, coming to you from the belly of the beast in Berkeley, California, we have Juan Tierra. Take it away. Well, good afternoon, Mike. <clears throat> Still a little bit of a cold here. All right. A quick well, question before we start. Yes. Quick question. Have you had a chance to take the intersectionality test yet? Oh, yeah, I did. I finally got to it, uh, uh, Adriana. And your score was? My score was? score th- was? Was three. Is, is, wow. Is, yeah. You're, yeah. You're approaching uh, You're approaching fascist status. I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm an oppressor of, of, of unprecedented, Absolutely. unknown uh, portions there. And, uh, yeah, you know, wow. Well, I mean, I you know, nine, so I they had the, they had these dials, uh, here, you know, yeah. what do you call them? Slider switches. Yeah. So you go exactly. from, you go from, uh, what is the sexuality? You go from straight to some way far over there on the right. Well, <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Uh, you, you know, I mean, if you put it, what, how are you just a nine straight? Right. So, I mean, I, I, I mean I'm, what am I going to put on there, man? The computer's right. I'm a 10 straight. So you go through that and, and, and then you have your color. All right. So you're white. I mean, I suppose there's some people, something in between. But by the time I got through telling the truth, I was an oppressor, a level three oppressor. And uh, I, I guess it doesn't get much worse. And uh, yeah, just, uh, but it was really fun. But that shows you how those people think about us. So thanks, thanks for uh, to, uh, for uh, tuning me into it, alerting me to it. I sent it to my brother. He got a three. Of course, where I, you know, yeah, three. Same, same race, same background there. So equal oppressor. So I guess what I need to do is get a t shirt. Says so intersectionality oppressor. So, uh, yeah, assuming that their kids that can read it in those schools, you know, they, they might be outraged about it. So you, you are, where are you today and what's going on with you? One. Well, first of all, I mean, one guy had a great comment. He'd say he got a two, which that what, that's what there are two genders. He, he's the same as two genders. So there you go. Oh <laughs> yeah. I told Yeah. Well, actually there are three genders, aren't there? Well, gender, I, I guess you can say that. No, there are three genders. Gender is a grammatical concept. It is it, it is not a biological or anatomical concept. Gender refers to grammar. And in grammar, there are three gen- genders, male, female, and neuter. You learned that That's in Latin true. and Greek, French, and I think even German. Yeah, uh, uh, the other Romance languages. I don't know about Asian languages, but that's one thing that's always bothered me is this gender business because uh, gender is a grammatical concept, and and by by sliding it over, uh-huh. in, uh, what by by sliding the discussion into the liberal arts and the social sciences and out of. Uh, biology and the anatomical sciences and out of medicine, that's where all the blurring comes in because we, we, we know that there really are, are, are three genders, but there are only two sexes, male and female. And of course, there are some, there you go. 
abnormal. That that's why this is very common sense, easily learned. I learned it when I was a freshman uh, in high school. Although all of us, from the youngest age, knew whether we were male or female, and this just part of it, getting us to deny our senses and so forth, and to imagine uh, that uh, black might be some other color, the, and white might be some other color. Uh, or something might be something else other than it is. So talking about uh, 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 sense con- uh, confusion, uh, you know, I think that you're up in the Berkeley area this weekend, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I want a mission of mercy up here, a, a quick trip. But uh, I am currently in the city of Lafayette, which is about uh, 10 miles from the old Berkeley campus down the freeway there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I came across from the leftist progressive enclave of Mount Washington and Wisconsin, <laughs> the city of uh, Lafayette. Now, politically, yeah. there's not much difference between the two. Uh huh. Basically, both are populated by mainly uh, affluent, guilt ridden, white, Caucasian snowflakes uh-huh. who are prone to purchase it <laughs> in their woke credentials. But I digress. Uh, yeah, they always want to let you know, and they usually let you know at the Trader Joe's. That's their favorite venue yeah, for go. offering judgments, right? With a, uh, you know, with a mask uh, on their face rather than stuffed in their mouth, where it might be useful. So, but anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Anyway, today's sources: Wikipedia, InflationCalculator.com. The main source, though, is the archives of the UC Berkeley student newspaper, The Daily California. Mm-hmm. I'm going to examine the exploding cost of tuition at my alma mater, the well-known, once-prestigious institution of higher learning known as the University of California's Berkeley campus. It seemed like an opportune time, as a matter of fact, to take a shot at my old academy. <laughs> Recently, your humble correspondent was shocked, shocked to learn the average tuition in-state students at Cal had climbed to an astronomical $14,250 a year. That's the average. This is nuanced. There are four levels of means testing. Let me get down the weeds here. But the average is $14,250. Wow. This is astronomical to me because my senior year, I personally wrote my two-semester tuition checks. $121.50 a semester times two equals $243. uh, one, uh, why don't you stop right there? Um, was sure. this really tuition or were these? Uh, I, I thought that That's what it was called. It was called I tuition. went to private schools, I went to private colleges, so I'm not that familiar with how uh, public uh, colleges operate. But I thought basically that tuition was free at these public institutions, but you just paid certain costs and expenses that uh, that weren't covered. Well, you that's know, a long involved uh, evolution, Mike. Interesting. Okay. Time, I, so, despite you, you receiving, will, you'll, soon, you'll, so you'll the soon find the, out. Yeah. The, okay. So, despite receiving all this money of uh, these public institutions, they turn around and uh, double dip by getting a bunch of money back from the students. Uh, this is very informative. So, you were at two hundred and forty. Well, yeah, yeah, the original charter yeah. had the original charter had a zero. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Anyway, now, using inflation calculator, uh, that 243 my senior year would equal $2,168 today, an inflation rate of 
Uh, wow. so student costs have increased eight, eight, it increased eightfold, eightfold. Right. And what happened? Deep in the archives, or archives, at the Cal, here's the background. The University of California was founded in 1868. In that charter, uh, quote, well, uh, right, merit-based admission, merit-based admission, okay, quote, admission and tuition shall be free to all residents of the state who qualify, obviously. But, they added a caveat. The regents did have the authority to require fees from students. Mm-hmm. Now, at this time, I'm going to go a little off the reservation and refer to an alleged Arab proverb of a camel's nose. Are you familiar with that proverb? Okay. If a camel is allowed to get its nose inside the tent, soon it will be impossible to prevent the rest of the camel from entering. <laughs> True. Okay. For half a, over half a century, no student fees whatsoever. 1921. California residents were, had to pay an incidental fee of $25. Now, what's the difference between incidental and, and uh, tuition? Mm-hmm. $25 is $25. The only difference is spelling. A little humor there. <laughs> but note, Camel's nose is now inside the tent. By 1956, nickel and diming it, the incidental fees have increased up to $84 annually. 1960, a big change. California Master Plan for Education, developed by then UC President Clark Kerr. Oh, yeah. These began their inexorable rise. Pitch was sold, I quote, quote, although the UC system was tuition free for state residents, fees should be charged to cover costs for areas such as laboratories, health services, and athletics. Right. Wait a minute. There are no laboratories, health service, or athletics at Cal before 1960, really? Right. No labs. The LSB Life Sciences Building was built in 1930. It housed right. the biology, molecular, and cell biology labs. Right. No health services. The Cal Hospital, which I went to, was built I mean, in 1930. Guys, it was all, as you and I so often call it, uh, a fraud, a hustling con. And Clark Kerr, who's practically, don't they have statues uh, to this guy and paintings? I mean, he's a a hero uh, to those. Iconic uh, figure. He sure is. Go ahead. I interrupted. Well, I did the the, the labs and the health services. No athletics. Cal went to the Rose Bowl five times between 1921 and 1959. Don't ask me what they've been ever since. And won the NCAA basketball championship in the 58-59 season. So, right. sports, what, what are you talking about here? All right. The point being. 1970, that- the, veil was, the veil was dropped. Free tuition was officially abolished. An additional $150 were charged as educational fee in addition to existing incidental fees. Then here comes Arnold. 2004. Something called the Higher Education Compact. <laughs> it says in a statement, quote, what? The COC system has sustained major state budget cuts over the past several years. Oh. Absorbed a 16% funding reduction, reduction and a 60% student enrollment increase. Doesn't it make any sense? No. The budget's cut and you're increasing enrollment. Right. What? Didn't this happen. Is, this is Arnold. Right. By 2005, it was up to nearly $7,500 per student. 2009, the Board of Regents really hit, hit, uh, put it to us 
increased tuition by almost 30%, over $10,000 for students. I really didn't know so that. 2011, for the first time, the total of UC students paid in tuition exceeded the amount of total spending by the state. 2013, that was $3 billion in student fees, 2.8 from the state. Wow. Now, I'm not saying, the premise is not that higher education, higher education should be free. I'm not a Bernie bro, okay? Stupid. Given the intent of the original car- charter, it's obvious that students and their tax-saying families have been sold out to the point where they are paying well over 50% of UC system's cost. Mm-hmm. Something is free, not valued very highly, and engenders a sense of entitlement. In my opinion, all students should have some skin in the game, pay at yeah. least a nominal amount. Writing those tuition checks. Now, by the way, I wrote eight of them, by the way. If you want to yeah. know the whole story, it's kind of, it's kind of boring, but... Uh, I appreciated my educational experience more than it was just free, handed to me. Well, there. Now, well, you know, aside, this is yeah. something, you, something you brought up. This litany of tuition increases over the course of many decades points up once again the unrelenting growth of monopolistic government bureaucracies. Yeah, and, and, and really more than that. You know, when we look at uh, uh, at, at the at, at the evolution of these places called universities, we see an incredible growth in the number of people who become professors. Now, their teaching loads are often low. Uh, it's nothing uh, you know, to go up there and find uh, some of these uh, professors who teach a few classes a week, picking up two or $300,000 a year. I know because Juan Tierra comes on here and uh, churns up these salaries in schools and law schools and universities all the time. So we have this prolif- proliferation of professors at high salaries. And, and when I look at this, it, it, and by the way, we have the state of California, uh, as you point out here, uh, here in 2013, and the number is even higher right now, But even as of 2013, eight years ago, the system was getting almost $3 billion a year from the state. And yet, if there were, if there's one feature of the UC schools, University of California, as distinguished from the Cal State system, Cal State universities, they have a tremendous number of students here from other parts of the world. Now, I've got nothing against. Asian students going to Caltech, that's a private institution, or the Claremont Colleges or anything else. But we tax Californians in order to support the University of California system and the California state system. They should be first, but instead, uh, we have people from other countries, often illegal, not even citizens, being eligible for so-called in-state tuition, which is probably too high for anybody. One, uh, this is why I, you know, uh, my feeling about given the fact the state of California is broke, we would be better off taking this college system, creating nonprofit entities and just turning them over to the nonprofit entities and say, good luck. We need to be out of the university system. I mean, what, what uh, are we well, doing? Mike, you're stealing my you're, you're stealing my next uh, my next I'm, podcast. I'm oh but, well, I, but when I'm when I'm when I when I get, when I do something, I usually winds up into something else, like the LAUSD last week. Yeah, the uh, 
the, 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 jump me onto the unfunded pension liabilities. Yeah. Doing research here, and when this is going to be like next week, we're going to talk about foreign students, particularly from a certain large Asian country. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you, know, so, yes, you need you're, to you're, go into it more detail. So, ladies and gentlemen, I will. Uh, you know, what well, you've got some nominees. Let's get to our nominees, then you and I can chat a little bit more. In the, uh, how is it that you say up there at Berkeley or Paris, the denouement? Okay. Okay. Well, it's the uh, wrap up. Uh, there's an issue with the numbers here because Transparent California doesn't go back far enough to pick up these salaries. So I've got an issue there. And Arnold, to his credit, I didn't take a salary because, well, here are my nominees. Are. First of all, it's Clark Kerr with his master plan for education. Arnold and his uh, education compact and uh, UC Board of Regents, who uh, jacked up the price 32%, 30% overnight. Now, uh, Arnold uh, didn't take a salary because he was getting millions of residuals from his movies. Right. Uh, the other two, uh, the Regents and Clark Kerr, uh, hard to find, get a number. You can go backtrack, but it's not accurate. Yeah. But so, as, as uh, you probably figured out, winner is, the Grimmer Grifter of the Week is, UC <laughs> President Clark Kerr. You can spell that C U R, by the way. C U R. C U R. And of and, course. And by the uh, way, this, this is personal because yeah. I was there when he was president. I didn't like the guy uh, for a couple of reasons, but uh, that's it. You did or did not irrational like Irrational to some degree. You, you, no. you did well, you did not it goes like to, it. Well, it goes back to the free speech movement, a long story. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, we all saw the profound transformation of the university system. A lot of people like to trace it to the 60s, but as a matter of fact, it goes back a, a bit further uh, to the free speech movement, so-called, which is anything but, that began uh, with, the, with Mario Savio. He's been dead for several years now, but he was the first student leader, and he plied his trade there at UC Berkeley. What year was that, John? Well, that was my senior year, Mike. Okay, tell us and, about and, it. Uh, and, and this, 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 this will engender a longer conversation. But in principle, in principle, yes. Mario Sali had a point. It, 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 it's it's tied up with William Noland, the Republican convention with uh, with uh, Rockefeller and Goldwater. It, it, the whole backstory, which we don't have time for here, mm -hmm. but uh, believe me, it, uh, Mar Mario had a point, and Clark Kerr was a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Clark Kerr, like so many other people, you know, there was, uh, th this goes back to the 50s and early 60s. And uh, when we look at California, uh, at, 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 we, we see for at least 100 years, maybe a little bit more, we had visionary leaders. Uh, and a lot of what happened in the United States and happened in, in California did come from government initiatives. And when I say initiatives, the idea that the government was going to create a large plan, uh, a, a plan that embraced bringing water to California, railroads to California. Uh, a, a government done a lot of big things, really big things and important things that led to our, uh, uh, to our success. And as we're entering the industrial uh not just the Industrial Revolution, but the great expansion of, of the industrial uh, uh, industrialization of America, California and our universities led that because they were 
they were producing engineers, uh, teachers, professionals, doctors, and a bunch of other people that were actually necessary and played a huge role in, in um, providing employment for industries that required those people. That was long before the tremendous expansion uh, of college for uh, for everybody. And so this uh, this master plan, this vision, was very seductive, uh, and and very and it and it uh, secured for higher education and the bureaucrats that were there in these universities, uh, a, 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 the first place, a place in the front row. Ultimately, it was undeserved, and from there they claimed the title to direct all of society in all matters not just to provide and educate leaders. From then on, the political leadership, social leadership was going to come out of, of these institutions, which were characterized by smart people, experts, and gradually you know, they, they came to populate the government. And now it's not unusual to hear about Bill Clinton, right? To hear, oh, well, he went... By the way, I'm not knocking Bill. I'm just using him as an example. We could use... Uh, his uh, brother by another mother there, George Bush Jr. Uh, they talk about <laughs> uh, right. Uh, they talk about other um, uh, time at Yale. We'll hear about their SATs, right? We'll hear about their academic achievements, all of which are wonderful. I have them too, and I'm proud of them. So are you, John? But they extrapolate from that educational background and those credentials the right to run the rest of us. No matter what, they're yep. just smarter than you and I, don't you know, right? Oh, they big credentials, and they issue you unique credentials, and say, "Yeah, and a lot smarter than and a lot smarter than and a lot smarter than truck drivers, sure." Certainly smarter than truck drivers, uh, and of course, those credentials mean everything until you run to a guy like Trump, uh, who actually went to MIT. Now they dismiss the credential, but everybody's playing this credential game. Oh, my IQ is bigger than yours. My SATs are higher than yours. I mean, almost nothing. Uh, so this is giving us an opportunity uh, to, uh, you know, to explore what's going on, and how insidious these institutions are uh, and, and, and the role that, they, <clears throat> role that they play. And we have kids coming out of K-12. They've been conditioned there to, to believe that the teacher, the person who stands up in the front of the room, he who has the chalk leads, right? Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, how's it? Instead of us. How, how do you like that? We we yeah we, we're waxing literary here today, Tierra. Uh, you know, instead of a scepter, they have a, uh, a what a marker or a piece of chalk, right? So uh, there it is. They hold the world, and now all of a sudden we're all supposed to uh, to dance, and they have no no idea uh, uh, you know, how to spell uh, Peter built, much less uh, how to drive one. So we're about to see it. But, you know, one, uh, you know, this is really great stuff here. And um, uh, you say next week, your next session, you're going to cover some of these uh, budgetary increases. Is that right? Well, well, what, what, I, what I noticed was the high percentage of out-of-state and foreign students. Yeah, we need and to guess what the cash cow is. 
guess what the cash cow is? Oh, uh, I don't know. State, how, 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 do you, how, do you, how do you say cash cow <laughs> in Chinese? Right. Exactly. Come prepared. Come prepared. Yeah, next week I'm going to, okay. That's yeah. a little racist there. No, 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 no. No, hey, and by the way, I, I'm trying to get out. I think I've got Rebecca Friedrichs for next week, but here real oh, soon. Yeah, here real soon. She got a new movie coming out. We're going to have a couple of the most impressive people that you would ever, ever, ever uh, want to talk to. Uh, and, and they are uh, leaders from the Chinese Christian churches and the Korean Christian churches. Uh, and, oh, nice. uh, uh, and, and these people know know about freedom particularly the chinese they've lived under it and when they talk sure. about america uh, uh you know it uh, it makes you choke up uh they talk about their own experience it's it's frightening when they talk about yeah, what's wait. going on here and how close it is to what happened there go yeah go ahead john no, I can't, I can't yeah. wait to hear from you. I, yeah, I we, we, we want to bring them on. Uh, sometimes their accents are a little bit thick, but we're going to want to hear from them. Uh, and, and, and these are, are true Americans that set an example for the rest of us and inspire me to fight even more and fight even harder. And they know that the sworn enemy of freedom is the government school. They've been there. They they. Mm -hmm. We, as we say here, matriculated, uh, just amazing. I think we're at the end of our of our segment here. Okay. Uh, I want want to thank you again for being on. I hope you're fitting a little bit better and uh, and enjoying. Uh, I know it's a little bit cool up there, but I was up there in the Bay Area last week. Just beautiful, it was uh, gorgeous, and uh, at Northern California, especially when you get above San Francisco, is even more beautiful. I urge everybody uh, to go there. Uh, this is a state worth saving, and with one tier, we're doing it. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this wraps up segment two of The Voice of Choice. I want to remind you to go to our website, californiaschoolchoice.org. You can find out all your answers to your questions about our initiative, the California Educational Freedom Act, and you can do something even more important. You can download that petition, and you can sign it, circulate it, and mail it back. And you can also do something almost as important as signing that petition. You can sign a check online. You can go online. You can click that donate button. Give me some love. So I can go out and tell this story to more people, get more people to gather more signatures. Remember you know, about what Don Dick said, and let's remember this, that the crisis that we have in America is a crisis of citizenship. And that's been my motto since the beginning. That's been Don Dix's. So let's go, go out there and, and, and win this one uh, uh, for Don and uh, get out there. If anybody needs to uh, communicate with me, it's Mike at CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. I got to thank our producer here, Josh Jacobs, and also our kind of our school choice editor at large who's sitting over here with long hair. That would be Josh Jacobs, who does a good job of giving me these blurbs, and you're going to see him uh, in the me email that's going out to really good stuff. I want to thank her, uh, him, and uh, everybody 
everybody else here and Adriana Maljanian uh, for all of her work and bringing this uh, here. The production is coming up each and every day. So we'll see you next week for episode 11 of The Voice of Choice. And in the meanwhile, don't forget, it's your children, your money, and it's your choice. See you next week. Voice of Choice podcast ad paid for by Californians for School Choice. Committee major funding from Dale Broom.